0: Hey, I'm sex, love, and relationship therapist, Dr. Laura Berman, and for the past 30 years, I've been helping people just like you learn to love and be loved better. Here on the Language of Love Conversations, I'm talking to some of the world's most influential and revolutionary experts, thought leaders, spiritual teachers, and celebrities about love, sex, and relationships from a mind, body, and spirit perspective. And that way, my goal is to awaken your mind, body, and soul. It's time to become fluent in the language of love. Dr. Scott Lyons is a licensed holistic psychologist, educator, and author of the book Addicted to Drama, Healing Dependency on Crisis and Chaos in Yourself and Others. In this episode of Language of Love Conversations, we are getting into it. Not only what drama addiction is and how insidious it is in our culture, but what's underneath it and what can you do to address it and shift out of drama addiction? If you are someone who it feels like you're always in an argument or always in a crisis or always upset about something or always things are falling apart, or maybe you love and care about someone like that. You are going to love this episode of The Language of Love. Scott Lyons, welcome.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to hang out with you again.
0: I know. I did your podcast. Now you're doing mine. And I had actually gotten them mixed up. So I had read almost all of your book before I realized that I was actually doing your podcast, not, not being interviewed you know, not interviewing you, but being interviewed. <laughs> but it was cool because I usually, you know, I had read almost the whole book and I will say this. And I think I said this to you when we spoke on your podcast that I read, obviously, as I'm sure you do, I read, a, I make it a point. I'm not one of those interviewers that doesn't read the book. But Like I hate when people don't read the my book and interview me. I'm just like,
1: yeah.
0: at least read the book. <laughs> You know,
1: at least the cliff notes.
0: Yeah, at least look at the darn thing. So I read a lot of self-help books, obviously, because I'm all about helping people learn to love and be loved better and manifest their you know, ideal relationships in life. So all the people I interview are in that vein and I'm reading a lot of self-help books. But this was really good. Thanks. <laughs> it was not, I mean, a lot of, they're all decent, you know, and they make some good points, but a lot of it is like regurgitated stuff you could read and any other self-help. It doesn't go deeper. It doesn't help you understand how the issues form, which to me is such a big part of resolving the issue that whatever the book is addressing. Yeah. So this book is about being addicted to drama, which a lot of people don't even know is a thing. I knew was a thing before I read it because a lot of my healing in my own recovery of codependency has been, and I happen to have a few amazing coaches and friends who helped me understand this, has been about recognizing my addiction to drama <laughs> and how many years I spent there. And so I'm not only a recovering codependent, I'm a recovering drama addict. So I'm super interested in, in diving into this topic with you because I don't think most people recognize when they are a drama addict. You, know, you may recognize, you may not want to see it, but you kind of recognize when you're addicted to a substance, right? Or to sex or to gambling or something, right? But this is much more insidious. Mm-hmm. So let's just start there. What is a drama addict? And then maybe we can get into some of the common symptoms and so you may recognize yourself or someone you <laughs> love there.
1: So, yeah. a drama addict? so let's start with the word drama. It's We're talking about unnecessary toil- turmoil. It's the over-exaggeration, it's the intensification, it's the unnecessary amount of energy, emotion to adapt, to function, to be in exchange with what's happening in the world around you and within you. So it's this, and it shows up as the unnecessary turmoil. And the idea of addiction has been a long evolution in the sense that we used to think about addiction as just like, oh, it's a brain disease that's it. And we didn't really recognize the contribution of the environment. We thought it was just a genetic component. And now we really identify that the uh, addiction is just as much about genetics and the biochemistry as it is about the ecosystem or the environment to which you were growing up in. And the, the amount of resources or support you have. When we think about an addiction, We know there's a commonality between whether it's sex addiction, or whether it's gambling, or whether it's stress and drama, or whether it's cocaine. There's these commonalities, you know, these certain things that make it an an addiction. Whether it's like we have withdrawal symptoms when we don't have it. It it occupies too much of our time. Right. We grow tolerance to it, meaning we need more to get more high or we need more to feel more alive in the case of a drama addiction.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so there's these commonalities. And there's another commonality that's not as talked about. People like Gabriel Mate talk about it, which is it fills the void.
0: Yeah. To me, that's the main thing people have to understand about yeah. every addiction that you're either running from something or to something trying to mm-hmm. fill that empty hole in you, right? Yeah.
1: And and what so many of us don't understand, it's like, okay, yeah, this emptiness, but let's go back and go, why is there a void? Mm-hmm. Why is there an emptiness? And we can go back to something as simple as dissociation, a dissociation. You know, when we take a vacation from ourselves, so to speak, it's an inherent component in our biology to disconnect from ourselves, to separate, to divorce ourselves so as not to be overwhelmed by how much we have to feel at any one given time.
0: Yeah, and that can be a life saving strategy, especially for a kid. I mean, many oh of us would God. have survived our childhood traumas if we didn't yeah. disassociate, if we didn't leave the building, so to speak, <laughs> at least intellectually and emotionally, right? Yeah. To to check out.
1: Exactly. It can be I mean,
0: anything from just distracting yourself to losing time, right? Like anywhere in between.
1: Yeah, you're driving in the car and you keep missing the exit, and you're like, Where did I go? Where, where, what happened in that space in between? Or you give an example,
0: or you get to work and you're like, Oh my God, I don't even remember driving here.
1: (laughs) Or you leave work and you don't remember the day of what you had to do or how you made it through the day. Yeah. So so we all know to some degree, or we might know it even in sex.
0: Yeah. Like so many of of us. Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's one of the hardest things to help people stop doing so that they can experience Mm -hmm. the pleasure they want is to stop leaving their bodies while they're doing it. But that usually, like this issue, is usually rooted in trauma.
1: Absolutely. So we disconnect, we vacate ourselves as a means of survival, and then there's a void. There's literally an emptiness where we should have been belonging. To ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so we fill that void with things that distract us from the pain of our own absence from ourselves. And in doing so, it gives us some distraction. It also takes the pain away, especially stress. So stress is this amazing thing that we often think is just like the big, bad bogey monster in the closet. But when we are in a stress response, it releases more energy. So we're more energized. Mm -hmm. It's distracting. It offers a distraction. So we feel less pain. And it is also a pain reliever. It literally blocks the pain receptors. So we feel less pain, which is what happens when you go for a run and you have that runner's high.
0: Yeah. And so- chaos, which a lot of people, and I know, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm a recovering addict, but I also know a lot of drama addicts. Mm -hmm. We're going to get into later on how to deal with the drama addicts in your life, not just if you are a drama addict, but I want to just read this thing I highlighted when you were first sort of getting, because I think it's a good summary of what you're just saying. of What is a drama addict? And what you write is instead of focusing on their own feelings of unmet needs A person dealing with an addiction to drama will instead focus on an outside stimulus like situations, events, or people. And they may often feel anxious or bored when things are calm. And so, first of all, they don't necessarily notice they're feeling anxious or bored. They're just uncomfortable with the anxiety or boredom. And then they unconsciously, it's not like they're rubbing their hands together and being like, let's go create some chaos so I don't have to feel so anxious. You know, it's not conscious. But then we unconsciously pick a fight or freak out about something or fixate, you know, and there's plenty of drama to fixate in the world right now. We fixate on the drama of the world and we feel that charge and that drama. You know, I've been noticing my addiction revitalizing itself in the midst of current events, right? I have to be really careful about that. But some of the common symptoms, you talked about one of them, which is disassociation. Right. And this, and often this feeling of numbness, which can come with disassociation or just with trauma in general. There's often, I think, a feeling of uh, dread, right? Like the other shoe's about to drop, something really bad is going to happen. I, you know, and then this feeling of like being alone in the world, like no one's there for you, uh, or everyone's abandoned you, or it's all up to you, or you're shouldering all the burden. And this is a big one that I didn't notice as much in myself because I'm in myself, but I notice in other drama addicts is that they use a lot of this terminology like, you know, never like lots of extremes. It's the best, the best thing I've, I've, you know, or this is the worst thing that's ever, you know, there's these extremes in their vocabulary and the way they're experiencing the world.
1: Yeah. It's always something.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: You know, that common phrase, it's always something, or why me? Why can't I just find peace? That's all I want. And yet, at the same time, anyone on the outside would be like, you're an agent of chaos. (laughs) And everything (laughs) around you seems to be turmoil and stress. And like, it's just like, and you can feel it. We all know, like, if you think about it for a moment, as you're listening, think of someone who you just like think of an addiction to drama and see who in your life might fit that category. Yeah. You don't even necessarily know all the symptoms yet, but something internally in you, like an alarm that goes off that says something isn't right. Mm -hmm. Something is about this person, stirs things up, gets into fights unnecessarily exaggerates the situation. Always has
0: a trauma or drama. Always
1: has a trauma or drama. Yeah. Takes one small thing and makes it so big. I mean, I think I gave the example in my book, like blows out a birthday candle with a fire hose.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like that.
1: You know, it's just like, and you can feel the dissonance between how much energy and attention and emotion is necessary. And how much is used? And there's a big difference yes. between those two. When you're observing on the outside from the inside, it makes sense. It feels like the extreme amount of energy, the heightened attention and exaggeration of your emotions feels so right and justified. It feels like yes. it's exactly the amount. Exactly you...
0: right. Oh, yeah. yeah. It feels totally normal. Justified. The addict yeah. and justified. And, you know, it's interesting. We're going to, I want to get into now. We're going to, in a little bit also... Cause I think it's important, at least it helps me, not just as a therapist, but as a human being, to understand the underpinnings, right? Like people who are drama addicts are not loser a-holes that you shouldn't, you know, that don't deserve love or or are troublemakers or chaos bringers, although often they're treated that way it it's rooted in you know trauma disconnection unmet needs and we'll we're going to talk about that but i want to get into relationships first cuz sure. you know that's my favorite <laughs> subject but you know i'm just thinking like uh, there's i have a girlfriend of mine and this was something interesting that happened after sammy died right so when we have these big tragedies or these big things that break us apart reconfigure like the butterfly, right? The caterpillar turns to mush, complete and utter mush, right? And then we reconfigure and often into ultimately a metamorphosis and a beautiful butterfly that's very different and more self-actualized. But in that process, I was so, and still am in many ways, so raw, like, mm. like the, my emotional sensory system was outside my skin. And I was always someone, even after, and my husband would often call me on this. He's like, have you ever noticed that so many of your friends are hot messes? Like from the time, this was my codependency at work, right? From the time I was little, I was attracted to and attracted to broken little birds and people who were struggling because I could help them. And that was also how I got love. I mean, this was not conscious, but it's how I got love and safety in relationship because I had this false story that if you need me, you won't leave me, right? That's a common Mm -hmm. codependent story. So I was always attracted. And also I find people who have had struggles in life are deeper and more multi-layered and are interesting and compelling. And so I'm attracted to them for that reason. But unconsciously, the wounded part of me is attracted to them because I want to help and I want love and I want to give love. So I have a lot of friends who have a lot of drama in their life. Many of them you know, have slowly, it's, you know, I've cleared the slates over the years and and kind of called, made space for more self-actualized, whole-souled people, right? But I still have a lot of friends that, you know, could fit this description. And one in particular, I, is a really old, beautiful-souled friend who, you know, is probably like 30 years we've been friends, and I could no longer talk to her really, like I really shut her out of my life during this time of grief. And she was really hurt by it, understandably so. And I had to, I didn't have the words that I, if I'd read your book, I probably would have. But all I said to her is there is so much drama in your life. There is always such a crisis and I am so raw. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't help you. I couldn't handle it. And also I was seeing that a lot of what she was like, oh my God. This was, a, you know, what she was in these chaos things about. We're like, okay, so your ex-husband is being a jerk. Like, my kid is dead, you know? Or, okay, so your car is broken down and, they're, you know, you're upset about it. Who gives a shit? You know, like sort of my threshold for empathy was really different. Yeah, which is yeah. on me, right? Yeah. That part is on me. And I, you know, have moved through that. I think that's a natural part of grief, especially after, you know, a big or any trauma after a big trauma. But I had to have that conversation with her. It did not go well for her. You know, it did not go well. And I tried to be as, I mean, I wasn't mean about it, but I was trying to explain why I had to withdraw. I want to talk about, first of all, how drama addiction plays out in Mm -hmm. relationships, right? And I know you talk about how the water is kind of always simmering and Mm -hmm. often empathy is. Weaponized, I want you to talk about that as well. But anything Mm -hmm. else relevant to what it's like to be in relationship, whether Mm. it's a friendship or a love relationship or a family relationship, because I got a kid who's addicted to drugs, what that looks like.
1: Yeah. I mean, here's what we know for sure: is that if the relationship to ourself is in peril, is is so challenging, is so painful is, especially if there's a part of us that is divorced from ourselves, then how are we going to be in relationship to someone else? It's impossible. There isn't an embodied self-actualization. There isn't a presence that feels safe to then extend that presence to be in the vulnerable interconnection with someone else. It's impossible.
0: Yeah. But but we all do it but we involved. all do it yeah. we all
1: we all want it it's like in the same way no one wants drama like but we're going to chase the drama to avoid our trauma yeah. like but we go back to no one wants the drama it doesn't mean that there isn't a subconscious part of us that keeps manifesting or creating it or seeking it Right. Or finding any way to stoke the fire, to rev up, to get that pain relief, to get that distraction, to get that energy that often happens and is needed. Because when we are divorced from ourselves, there's also not a lot of rejuvenation or energy. When yeah. we're constantly needing to be stressed out, relaxing feels dangerous. Yeah. So we don't get to recuperate that energy. So we need to source that energy from somewhere else. And so we either take it from other people. We involve them in our drama. We rope them in like a tornado and we siphon off their drama and their reaction, their reaction to the stress and use it as a battery pack or fuel on our own fire.
0: That's like an energy vampire.
1: Basically. It's like an energy vampire. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it, there's no sense for that individual that relationship equals safety.
0: And they so, probably never had that experience.
1: No, it's yeah. too dangerous. It, I can tell you from personal experience, it feels dangerous to have a intimate connection with someone. It's going to be taken away at any moment. That shoe is going to drop. Yeah. And so what do we do when there's too much connection? We blow it up. We don't want to, but we do. We find and we nitpick all the things that are wrong with them.
0: Yeah, or we start controlling them or we get upset over something they did and create all this drama or we then we get deemed high maintenance or too difficult or impossible to please or too 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 of something which often we are.
1: Yeah, it's true. And it's representative of actually an anxiety that resides underneath the hood of the behavior. And that's the thing that like it's really hard to be empathetic to someone who's addicted to drama you're like why are you sabotaging us we could have something so good why why are you doing that and it's like they have to for their own sense of preservation it gets too close that vulnerability happens and they suddenly an alarm goes off that says i could be annihilated Mm -hmm. if i let my guard down I'm going to come back into that trauma. I'm going to be traumatized. I had a a woman I worked with years ago and we were doing a practice called quietude, which is entering into layer after layer of settling and stillness. And what happens for so many of us who are addicted to stress, addicted to drama, is we source things that keep us revving. So we start to relax and it's an alarm system goes off that I call the revving reflex. And we source material in st- stressors to start to bring us back up to a level that maintains our hypervigilance, that prevents us from being too susceptible to being attacked, to being annihilated, to being re-traumatized. And the same is true in relationship. The thing about relationships is that we can have co-regulation. Yeah, like my your presence with me settles me. Every time I see you or talk to you, I go, huh. like <laughs> yeah. that's part of your gift to the world. And for someone who is addicted to stress, addicted to drama, after some time, I don't even know it. Suddenly, I start to feel anxious. Something feels wrong, but I can't quite put my, I can't quite name it and identify it. There's like this itch of like things to feel too safe. Something's gonna, something's gonna happen. And I either seek it, I search it, or I create it to justify the anxiety that's building within me. And when I can find it, when I create it, when I seek it, whatever it is, and I match it, I match the situation in our relationship. I create the drama in our relationship, and it matches the anxiety inside me. Yes. I feel relief.
0: Yeah. Even though the result does not bring relief. No. The feeling brings, just like any addiction, the drink, the drug, brings temporary relief, but then you have the shrapnel, you know, listening to you, I'm freaking out a little bit because I'm realizing, I mean, in a good way, but I'm realizing, you know, my husband just said to me earlier on, we were, there was the, at the time we're recording this, there was a, there's a huge march happening this morning in uh, Washington of, I don't know, a hundred, the whole, uh, whole Washington mall is filled with people, supporting the Jewish population and speaking up against anti-Semitism. And my husband brought it to my attention. And the first thing I said was, yeah, you know, it's amazing. I hope they don't get bombed. And that's immediately where my mind went. And he said, which is, you know, a viable possibility, right? I mean, hopefully that won't happen. But given what's the way people have been responding to all of this, it's a little, you know, it's freaking me out. All of it's freaking me out, not just the Jewish thing, but all of it. And so." He said, have you noticed that you are, I forget how he put it, but basically that I'm seeing the negatives every time he offers something, I say, yeah, hope they don't get bombed. Well, you know, we'll see if that happens. Well, you know, like I'm in this pessimistic he was, and I got defensive a little bit and I was like, I think you're being a little critical. Like I'm going through a lot right now and there's a lot going on in my personal life and in the world. And it's a lot to handle.
1: You're in the protective negative yeah.
0: vortex. Yeah. I'm, I'm falling back. I'm relapsing. Help. This is the
1: trauma vortex, love. We in it because <laughs> get we get over the trauma
0: the- vortex.
1: Oh shit. It, it is a, it is a lens of preservation. Yeah. So I want to be really clear about that. When someone is like focusing on the negative and I see it in couples therapy all the time where someone yeah. says like, they're like, oh, last night we had the best date. I felt so connected to you. And then the other partner might go, yeah, but I had to initiate that date.
0: Yes. Yeah. So I'm
1: like, shut the fuck up. All the Please nope. shut up and enjoy each other. Yes. Not really. I would never say that. But, but in but my there's mind, there's a part of you that's thinking. That. A part of me, I know, i am like, Oh, I know it's so vulnerable. This moment is so vulnerable to absorb, to take in the good. And I I have a practice with folks that I call marinating in the good that came out of couples work where I was like, whoa, 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 let's pause. I hear that there might be a need that comes up, but before we address that need, and we will, can we marinate in the good? Mm Mm-hmm. If we were to take, like fill a bathtub with the sensation of what that date was like last night, were you really connected? Can you dip your foot in? Yeah. Can you dip your leg in? Can you settle into the whole bathtub? Can you marinate in it? And then check back in with your partner and see how that feels. And they'll say, oh my God, it feels so warm. I feel so connected. And then there's something that suddenly it tries to take me out. I don't want to be taken out. Yeah. But I start to have that negative thought about like, you know, maybe do they find me attractive? Right. Or do I they... had to
0: initiate yeah. it or they don't or really, have... think know, it's rooted in it's not real. I can't trust it. Yeah. The in my case, you know, I call it the yeah. gobsmack trauma. You know, <sighs> this whole yeah. thing that I've had lots of gobsmack trauma where you're just like yeah. smacked across the face with a devastating. Reality, you know, mm-hmm. or devastating trauma, or death, or whatever, and so I've had a lot of that in my life. But even just what's happening now in the world feels like a big old gobsmack. So it kind of makes sense that for many of us, some of yeah. even if you've gotten a handle and you're and you've been in a place of appreciation and you can see the silver lining and you can bathe in the what was it called that you bathe the in good, the, the, the good, and
1: yeah. the marinating in the good, yeah, good
0: and the marinating in the good yumminess, right there. You're in this, you've relapsed, or at least I have, into this place of hypervigilance and preparedness. Preparedness. So preparedness. I don't get
1: Yeah. And it makes so much sense. Look, we're neurologically, neurobiologically designed to focus on negative. It's a form of preservation. You know, Rick Hansen talks about this a lot in his work uh, the, and the, the Buddha brain. Mm-hmm. It's his book. There's a, just a lot of good research on it that says basically... For every three negative thoughts that we have or negative focal points that keeps us in that preservation, that perceived preservation, we need like nine positive thoughts to oh, balance yeah, it yeah. out. So it's like a one to three ratio. I just exaggerated it with three yeah. to nine because I'm addicted yeah. to drama
0: and <laughs> you I you can do to, that. You had to elevate it. Yeah.
1: I had to elevate it. I just wanted to prove a point. And for those of us who are, I mean, my point is now clear. Those of us who have an addiction to trauma or stress, it's that much more. Yeah. Because what happens, and this is so interesting, is like trauma is not about the event alone. Trauma is really about the preparation for the next trauma.
0: Yeah, it really is.
1: And so our biology, our senses especially, attune to be on guard for the next thing the next potential threat. So literally our senses, our smell, our um, our taste, our eyes, our eyes narrow to focus in. Our taste focuses on more bitters. Our hearing attunes to more low sounds. Now, all of this means that we are tuned into a world of potential uh, cues of danger as opposed to cues of safety. So we will miss cues of safety if we are stuck in the channels of looking for cues of danger.
0: It doesn't have to be the saber tooth tiger at the mouth of the cave, right? It can be your partner's rejection or, Mm -hmm. you know, protecting against aren't a danger to your life, but are a severe danger to your heart, to your soul. You know, you talk about these different layers that cause drama addiction, right? And the, and the innermost layer to the second, third, and fourth, and the innermost is that layer of unmet needs that usually starts in those early childhood neglect, hypercriticism, abuse, abandonment, all, you know, anything. On a whole continuum, it doesn't have to be big T trauma. It can be little t trauma. And then that the next layer is sort of that isolation and pain that comes as a result Of protecting yourself, I guess. And, and also as a result of the stories, the child, usually the child tells themselves as as to why, because a child, everything, we're all narcissistic as kids, right? So everything is because of us, right? So the fact that dad left or mom is always telling me I'm bad or is hurting me or whatever is because of me, right? So I'm going to isolate. I'm going to be alone in my pain. Oh, how do I deal with that? Comes the third layer. I'm just gonna numb out. I'm gonna disassociate. I'm gonna numb myself out in whatever way I can. And then you're saying that it's the fourth layer that where the drama addiction kicks in because we're we're seeking a an antidote to the numbness. And this is all obviously unconscious. This isn't something we're consciously doing.
1: I referred to myself as a to my parents as a kid as the walking ghost, as a walking ghost. And I felt that way. I felt undimensional. I mean, I didn't have quite the words to describe it then, so they put me in therapy. Um, (laughs) But I I can say it now. Like, I didn't feel whole. I felt vacant. I felt empty. I felt less than. And it wasn't a self-esteem. Like, I'm a kinesthetic learner. I feel my body. And I felt like only half of me was there. And the things that gave me a sense of purpose and aliveness were the things that crossed that threshold of numbness. So the decibel of emotions, the decibel of excitement had to be higher than, than the layer of numbness that existed in my life. So like when I would perform in front of a thousand people and the excitement in the, of hearing that rose above and I felt something and I felt yeah. alive. Yeah. And I will tell you on an existential level, it is so much better to feel alive than dead. Yeah. I mean, so I know we better. I know we might think that of like, oh, of course, but I can tell you, unless you've been deep in the dark of depression, yeah. deep in the dark of numbness, and had the experience of feeling aliveness, like we all as humans strive for aliveness because the clamped downness, the absence of life, the absence of flow in our being,
0: yeah,
1: is torment. It is. I would do anything to not be in the depths of that numbness ever again. Yeah.
0: yeah. And the might, numbness. Yeah. And I think also yeah, drama can be a distraction, like you're oh, numb, yeah. but then also sometimes you're remembering something or sometimes you mm-hmm. don't want to think about one thing. So you have to fixate on something really major
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to You from, yeah.
0: from focusing on the thing you don't want to look at. As most of you know, for the past several years, I've been on a pretty intense grief journey and it's been a path of healing. I've shared lots of that healing with you and lots of the healing resources that I found. And I am so thrilled to announce that I am doing my first ever retreat grieving mamas so if you or someone you love is a mama who has lost a child in any way at any stage at any age i would love for you to come join me at 1440 multiversity in the redwoods near santa cruz california for four amazing days of beautiful uplifting community and healing we've got david kessler we've got paul selig we've got katherine woodward thomas we've got me we've got Body work we've got organic food, beautiful rooms. Go to 1440.org check it out. It's right there on the homepage. I really hope you can join us.
1: Drama is this great tool that keeps us out of the numbness. It helps us cross that threshold to feel more aliveness and even a sense of purpose. yeah like if, I don't know about you, but uh, as the as a referee between parents who fought a lot
0: mm-hmm.
1: it was exhilarating. I felt and like their drama meant my sense of purpose. Oh yeah, so, for
0: sure. You know. And I got I mean I've I've apologized to her. I'm mm. current, I'm estranged for many years from my sister by mm. choice out of my own sur- you know, emotional survival, but over the years and even before that, I have apologized to her f- for my role in uh because she was definitely the black sheep. And I was so traumatized. I had so much emotional trauma, physical trauma, sexual trauma. I mean, we both did. But speaking for myself, I thrived on her being, which I feel felt so. I mean, I feel better about it now because I've really honored it and owned it and apologized and made my restitution as best I could. But I, as the little sister, not only could get more of the minimal love and approval that was available by joining in the chaos of. Demonizing her for, the, and she was, of course, stepping into the role she was given. <laughs> you know, she acted out a lot. But also, I was not only in the middle of all that, which started to not only get me more love and approval, but a lot of drama, which was really juicy and enervating. But also, I was their couple's therapist. My I mean, my I was I knew way too much. They both confided way too much, and I had way too much emotional power over the mm-hmm. situation. And yeah, it was like a high. And there yeah. are gifts in it, obviously. I'm an amazing therapist today because of that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just takes a wee bit of trauma to be a good therapist. Shit.
0: I started practicing when I was four. But yeah, so it's it's interesting. So let's talk about. We've talked about some of the causes and the underpinnings and the way it manifests, but what the hell do you do about it? Mm. Like, what, You know, what are the mile, you talk about the milestones of healing and what are, what are the, some of the milestones of healing, but even more specifically, like what kinds of things help to break the addiction cycle?
1: Yeah. Well, I think the first is, well, let, let's talk about you know, breaking our own addiction to drama or stress for ourselves. Yeah. And then how the hell do we get space from those who are in their pattern? (laughs) Because that's intense too.
0: Yes. You know, Uh,
1: and we, yeah, we'll talk about it. So from the personal side, it's like recognize first where it's present. And that's not easy. That's actually probably going to be the hardest thing because we will do so much to justify our reactions But if people have given us feedback that like, hey, there's some weird disproportionate amount of energy, attention, and emotional exaggeration intensity of your reaction to what the stimulus actually is. Basically, if you're making a mountain out of molehills, that's a good indication for you to maybe turn inward. And one of the things I invite people to start to recognize is what happens when you start to settle? What happens when you start to feel calm? How comfortable is boredom, and that's when we start to get into the material and what I call revving, so you know when you're in a bathtub, when you're listening to my gentle voice no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> when you're in a place where there's an opportunity for settling and relaxation, what happens? How far can you really allow yourself to go? and the term we use in developmental movement is called yielding, so it's a like it's a not softening. Like I'm just, a softening. Yeah. Thank you. And it doesn't just stop. It's not like I, it's like an elevator. Yeah. So it's softening level one. And then I go down on the elevator. It's the sub basement and then the sub sub basement of settling. And then there's more and there's, and it's ever going layers of settling and yielding and of softening. And so we can start to say, where do we hit a shelf? And that's that's softening as we go down. And then that, when we hit a shelf, is when we start to go. Mm, I'm going to think about I don't know my boss, yeah. or I'm going to think like or
0: something, exp- on to-do or or something, something on my to do list, yeah. or a thing on my to do list. Yeah, I got to
1: go schedule stuff. Yeah. Or I have to call a friend, or I got to start scrolling on the internet. Yeah, and you've like been
0: in my head lately,
1: every
0: time I try to meditate, I'm like, oh shit! For ten minutes, I've been supposed to be meditating, and I'm running through this thing in my head.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Or okay. like, so I got my I one
0: recently. That's
1: yeah. it. <laughs> my favorite is like, I moved out of New York and I caught myself speed walking down the streets of Miami. <laughs> and I was like, and, and for those who aren't here, like where I live in Miami, it's slow. Yeah. Like compared to New York, it's slow. And I was like, why am I, why am I like speed walking? I literally have nowhere to go. I'm taking a walk to get some fresh air and I'm like in a hurry. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the same thing. And I started to slow down. And then I started to notice the birds. And I was like, why are the birds so loud? Ugh. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm revving again. I'm finding different stimulus. Okay, so like,
0: notice when you're revving. All right, keep
1: Notice going. when you're revving, exactly. So all of these ways, internal revving, finding stimulus on the outside, creating binds is another form of revving. Like in the book, I give the example of a client who, has Their house was a mess. Their literal environment was a representation of their internal chaos. And she wanted to hire a um, cleaner. And she was saying to me, if I hire a cleaner, it means I'm lazy. But if I don't hire a cleaner, it means my house is just going to get more chaos and people are going to judge me. But people are also going to judge me if I get a cleaner because then they'll know I am chaos. And it just would go, it's a bind. Wow. It yeah. means you can never, it just is constant fuel that you could never actually relax in. So it's an, a bind rev. So all these different ways that we are not allowing ourselves to settle. It's like, okay, I watched two hours of the news. Why? What was the point, the threshold to which you had enough information in which you started to flood and get too much? Or and doom like, scroll. Or doom yeah. scroll. Like, why didn't you stop yourself? What was the point in which you were full? Yeah. Just like in eating, like, at what point do you feel satiated? And then what yeah, You don't even after? notice a lot and of times. You don't times. even you notice.
0: Forge, and then you yeah. miss the point because you're not Ex- relaxed and attuned and in your body. Yeah. Right, so So, that's why the awareness is so hard of when you're, so notice how much you're willing to rest and relax and be in ease and flow and when you're revving in all these different ways. And then once you recognize that, what do you do when you rev?
1: Yeah, so when you start to rev, It's the, we're going to want to put a wedge in between the rev and then the final explosion, that catharsis, you know, that, that very extreme reaction that often happens as part of an addiction and drama. So it's like, I'm starting to rev. okay, I'm going to tune my attention back to something else, or I'm going to look under the hood and go, what am I feeling? What was I feeling right before I was revving? Mm -hmm. Oh, I was sad. Oh, Interesting. So when I get sad and I don't want to feel it, I start sourcing drama. I start sourcing stress. Okay, that's good information. And the more I can wedge between the stimulus and the response, between the rev and the reaction, that the explosion that comes, yeah. I can start to attune more to my underlying feelings and needs, which then allows me to start to process the deeper layers of trauma that never got to be seen, witnessed, metabolized, expressed. And that's where we start to get, like we start to take the fuel out of the pattern. Essentially, yeah.
0: When we take the fuel out of the pattern, right? Let's say someone, you know, we're listening to you right now, and this is making a lot of sense. And, you know, obviously a coach, a therapist, someone who, you know, when we'll, and I'll ask you for what to look for in, in a support, you know, a clinical support, but what are some things that like anyone could do? You know, I know you're a huge fan of somatic experiencing and that's a big part of your work. Like what are some specific strategies that we can start implementing into our lives when we know and obviously this is not to replace awareness and exploration, but just As a maintenance or as a Mm -hmm. survival strategy to stop, (laughs) to shift out of the rev, what are some strategies that work?
1: Oh gosh, there's so many. And there's a whole appendix in the book of them too. Yeah. One that comes to mind right away, and we can think about this in relation to what you were talking about, is I do what's just called a step back technique, which is I start to notice I'm revving and I locate the source that I'm using. Okay, it's the news. So, I step back from my television. I might literally take a step back and I put a caution tape in my mind around the television. And so, every time I start to go near the stimulus, I have this buffer of going, why did I put that tape there? Oh, yeah, because I'm using it. I'm using it to rev myself up.
0: So am I about to use it again or am I I really interested in watching the newest episode of Frasier or whatever? Yeah,
1: exactly. I'm coming up against a buffer by putting that caution tape that makes me evaluate.
0: And this is a metaphorical image of a caution tape. You're not literally putting, although I guess you could. It's metaphorical,
1: although I have done it. (laughs) I have done it with a client before where I bought some caution tape and we... Put it around a subject that they kept coming back to over yeah. and over again. And this caution tape practice actually helped them stop using it to continuously yeah. rev.
0: We and need it was some destroying phone cases the relationship. Better. We need some yeah. phone cases that you should market those phone cases that look like <laughs> caution tape. <laughs> yeah.
1: I had a a technique I used for many years called taking the silverware back for someone who's not coming to dinner. It's like in this way, it's like, oh. When I was relaxing, this came about as a practice that I was like, I was thinking about, I didn't have a partner. I'm so sad about the person who's absent, who doesn't love me enough. And I would play that out in my head. And then I, or when I was in the middle of divorce, I would play out scenes with my ex-husband and I would go, whoa, 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 they're not here. I set the the dinner table for them, invited them there. And there's no one at the dinner table. So I started doing this practice where metaphorically or imagistically, again, I would take the the placemat, the plate, the cup, the fork, the knife that I had placed for them at the table beside me and put it away. And it was such a relief to my nervous system to say they don't belong in my sphere right here.
0: Right. In my home and my peace. In my home
1: and my peace. I brought them in. I set the table for them. They weren't even here. That was me. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me to unwind, so it's an unwinding practice, there's step back, there's unwinding. I'm unwinding the the steps I took to create the drama in my mind. and, and
0: these are all, I mean, there's so many great strategies yeah. guys in the book. um there's and they all, you know, are extremely helpful, but it it does it will become more of like a, you know, trying to put out a fire with, you know, a water gun. If you don't deal with what's underneath, right? If you don't address the core issues and the underpinning, as you say, then you're just always dealing with the fires and the symptoms and using these techniques, which help and work, but it's much more of an efforting, right? What we most want is for you to get underneath that and get the help you need so that you can shift out of the, uh, you know, go into recovery rather than trying to go, you know, trying to avoid bars, right? Like to actually, what you do need to do as an alcoholic in recovery, right? But you also need to get to the core of the addiction so that it doesn't rule your life. So when someone is looking for a clinician or a support for drama addiction, I mean, obviously they can read your book and they can learn from you. But where, who, what should they be looking for? How do they find someone who can help?
1: Here's the thing is I am a really honest practitioner. Yeah. And I always ask permission. I go through this whole process of can I be transparent with you? Because oftentimes people want to just express. They want to dump on a practitioner. Yeah. And that's fine. But that's not going to get you to some place of change. Sorry, loves. I want you to feel heard. But if you're feeling hurt, if you're using therapy and weaponizing it in some ways as a means to pull someone else into your drama and justify your response, that's never going to help. You're never going to make the change. So a therapist who's really honest and say, can we pause here? I noticed we were just settling. And then we so quickly jumped into talking about your mom when we were still talking about work, can you help me track that transition? Oh, you, you're you not aware of that transition either? Let's step back. Yeah, Let's step back and go, what happens when we just talk about work again? Oh, there's nothing there. Can we pause? What's it like to be with something that's where there's not something there? Is that tolerable? Yeah, but I want to talk about my mom now. I'm like, cool. We'll talk about your mom. If when we can tolerate also the absence of stress,
0: yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you hold them accountable. And I think what it's you're accountability. is that a lot of people, a lot of therapists don't.
1: Yeah, they'll listen. <laughs> they'll
0: just be a dumping the, ground for you to continue the drama addiction.
1: Look, this will probably get me canceled among therapists, but we have to be careful about not enabling them by simply doing our job of listening and saying, uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I agree with that. I get really annoyed by that. And that's how I was originally, before I got my own training, that's how I was trained originally in graduate school to be the blank slate and just let them, you know, like psychoanalysis, basically one step removed from it, which obviously, you know, works for a few people, didn't work for Woody Allen after 20 years, but it works, you know, for some people, but I agree with you. And I think also if you have a drama addiction and this feels familiar to you what we're talking about you definitely want to talk to someone who and work with someone who has experience with trauma because yep. even if you don't think you had trauma you you did if you're
1: <laughs> trauma happens. surprise sorry loves
0: <laughs> even if it was a little t trauma a lot you know you still have trauma and someone who also does a lot of what we call somatic experiencing—you know, less. Talk, they, there is a place for talking and listening, but and processing verbally. But a lot of this, I think, is.
1: Yeah, active. the, body, yeah, the body. body keeps the score. Yeah, and it's holding on to these patterns that are below the level. I mean. If you were cognitively aware of it, you probably wouldn't do it, right? Yeah. So we know it's in the subconscious. And guess where the subconscious is? Your body. Yeah. You know, so that's yeah. so someone who has a body based therapy approach is going to be really helpful because this revving reflex is primal.
0: Yes. It is, it is. so primal. And it's and beyond it, conscious awareness. Absolutely. It really
1: Truly. Until
0: you make it conscious. And then even then you're going to yeah. regress at times, just like oh. I am now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and be compassionate. We're going to yeah. regress. We're going to fall back into our protective patterns when we're flooded, when we're overwhelmed. And that is okay. And this is where we have like great resources, like your husband and say, Hey, love. Oh, something feels older and familiar in this approach. Can we, can we do a check-in? Like, are you feeling overwhelmed? What's yeah. under the hood of that overwhelm? Yeah, How are you? That. Well, <laughs> you call me love. Me you just call me. He calls you out. He's a little more straightforward. Yeah. What the fuck? What's going on with you? Yeah,
0: I mean, he's nice about it, but yeah. he's like, have you noticed, you know, have you noticed? That-
1: yeah, or have like, you
0: notice you're a total bitch? No, he doesn't. Yeah, yeah.
1: Say, but that's or, the implication. my favorite, I have this story that it feels a little more negative with you than usual. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Curious, what's going on with you? You know, you could yeah. always do that approach. Because here's the thing: is someone who's addicted to drama is not going to see themselves more than the victim of the experience, and that's part of the why, what makes it so hard is because. They can pull people in, they can justify it. They can find all the evidence they need to make the issue, the source of the issue about someone else. Yeah. No.
0: But for me, it's the gobsmack trauma, but I'm thinking like of this friend for her, I think it's empathy trauma. Like she, and it's not conscious, but she has found not only does it distract her from other pain, she can elicit empathy which she didn't get enough of growing at all growing up. Yeah. So if you're in a drama or trauma and you've learned, you may exhaust people eventually, but if you've learned that people are like, oh, you're so strong. You're so, you know, I'm so sorry. You're going through so much. It's like Sue's that little one in you who never got that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, when drama is the currency of love or chaos is the currency of love in your family, guess what you're going to do to feel loved with when you're an adult. So if I got the most attention when I was sick or something was wrong, guess what? I'm gonna replicate that unconsciously in my adult, in my teenage years, and my adulthood, say, I feel lonely. What do I do? Oh yeah, I'm gonna go get ill. I'm gonna make myself, I'm gonna overschedule myself so much until I'm ill. And then I'm gonna call my mom and then she'll love me.
0: Yeah. And this, once again, guys, Told, this conversation is happening beyond your conscious awareness so oh, yeah. we're not saying that you're intentionally having Never. this or consciously having this thought process but that's what your unconscious mind yeah is doing so when you love someone or are in relationship with someone and and you're listening to this and you're like oh yeah that, that's, that's my mom my, that's, that's my sister my mom my friend my sister <laughs> my brother my kid whatever my yeah. brother my husband whoever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right
1: Drama knows no gender. Let's be yes, very clear about yes. that. No
0: age, no gender.
1: No age, no gender.
0: What do you recommend? I mean, obviously, one of the things you already recommended, you know, is to kind of gently and lovingly call them to consciousness if you can. But what else beyond that?
1: Yeah, let's just say the first response to that is not to necessarily cut off the relationship. I would say that is a possibility and it's not that I'm going to poo-poo it because I've had to do it. You've had to do it and it's okay. It's
0: not a first choice.
1: It's not a first choice. And, you know, so there's a lot of other pieces in between, which is to say like, maybe you create a little more boundary of going like, okay, let's say my best friend, Alex is constantly in some drama, constantly overscheduling himself and then complaining about it. And there's just no space. He's taking up all, all the air from the room. And it's always something. And there's exaggerated language. And it's like, and here's the news today. And I, I'm i part of this, etc. And I'm going to go I'm like, and he calls me and he goes, I need to go on a walk with you. I'm like, cool. I have 20 minutes. I have a mm-hmm. 20 minute window for you. Normally, I know in the past, I give you an hour, two hours, three hours. Today, I have 20. 20 minutes for you, and by the way, we're going to do it outside. I'm not going to sit. I, I'm not going to be cornered in a room with you. I'm not saying I'm not going to be cornered, but I really need to do it outside, and I need to do it while moving. So we have some type of public area. We have space. So Your that boundaries. I, as they're trying to, yeah, as they're trying to pull me into their drama, I'm focusing on the trees that have roots. I'm connecting to them as opposed to the drama. That's so you don't get sucked
0: hours. into the vortex.
1: So that I don't get sucked into the vortex. Such an important thing because drama, stress is the most contagious body state there is. You know, emotions are contagious. We know that. That's
0: why I couldn't be around my my beloved friend because it was contagious and I already had a lion's share I was dealing with on my own. Right. So, yeah, that makes total sense.
1: And we know this. It's called stress contagion. So, examples are like someone is doing a public speech. On a stage, everyone in the audience who watched that person had the same heart rate response, the same cortisol response as those who were on the stage.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's we know it's so that important that's,
1: to recognize. That's, that's,
0: yeah, it's entrainment. It's it's absolutely mm-hmm. been proven scientifically that that is what's happening.
1: So addiction to drama is contagious. So yeah. you got to do your work to keep grounded, to keep anchored. If you need to do a cleaning ritual after you're with that person, like I wash my hands after I'm with a patient or a family member who has a lot of drama, I go back and I wash my hands again. I keep imagining that sense of the tree rooting, same in my body. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get pulled into their vortex. And when I feel like I don't have the strength, I'm going to walk away. I'm going to say, I'm going to see you tomorrow. I'm going to see you in 20 minutes. Or I say, oh, I have a meeting I forgot to, that I have to get to. I'm going to remove myself enough and say, I love you. I'm going to see you later. And I recuperate and I take care of myself.
0: And I'm not saying I'm at this point with my friend or with anyone I'm even thinking of, but I'm just imagining how bad this can be for people. At what point is it too much work to ground and, and you know and protect yourself and wash it off and make sure? Like at what point are you just... Like this, I mean, obviously if they're part of your family or you deeply love them, you're going to, you know, try to always keep them in your life and manage it. But at what point do you say, dude, like, I can't handle this anymore. You got to do something about this. I can't live this way anymore. What time do you, at what point do you just sort of, and obviously it's different for everyone, but how do you recognize that threshold?
1: Yeah, it's not easy. So I want to say it takes a lot of work to be in relationship and hopefully they're in therapy doing the work. Yeah. too. And if they're not, that's a good information. Like they're not going to change. Sorry. It's not going to magically disappear. Yeah. If they're
0: not getting help, that is who they're going to stay. Absolutely. That
1: is absolutely. The pattern is not going to change. Also, you need to recognize what's your contribution to it. Hmm. Am I enabling them? Do no. I get something from this? So yeah. you have to recognize, am I, is this also part of my addiction to drama by being in relationship? to them. I might say, but they're so much fun. They are fun because they they're human too. And they can so be, fun. you know, super fun. I want to go hang out and hear the gossip and the tea. But if you cross them, you're on the other side of it so easily. And so recognize what is your contribution? What is your need in relationship to them? And after, you know, there's all these steps I have in the book, like establishing boundaries, cleaning, cleansing rituals, doing your own work. I can be with clients who are extreme in this pattern at this point. Can I be with a relative for more than a couple hours? No.
0: Oh, very different.
1: Very different. And so like, there's also just like, what is, but so I'll go, okay, I'm coming over for Thanksgiving dinner. I'm only going for two hours. That's my Mm -hmm. threshold. When Mm -hmm. I go home to see family members, I do it for two days. That's my threshold. I know that's my threshold. I love them, and I have boundaries. Yes, because I'm taking care of myself. And if I can't maintain my boundaries, if I can't ground, if I can't do, in doing my own work, if I can't do it, and I'm still getting hurt, then it's okay to walk away. A walk away doesn't have to be permanent.
0: Right. You can just take a yeah, break not, and re, re. I can take a break. Calibrate. Yeah. yeah,
1: and I and I also will say something. Hey. I know it's not your intention, but I'm feeling like there's so much going on right now that I can't be there for you in the way that I wish I could be. I need to go do like a week's retreat of just re-energizing me or might be two weeks or might be a month so that I can come back. And if there's room for it, I just want to say, like, I notice sometimes things feel heavier than they might need to be it's really that there's a lot of intensity and that what I want for both of us is more ease in life. And I'm seeing this great therapist. You might want to see someone too. You know, there's lots of ways. Yeah, that, in. Was,
0: that was a good I, model. Good, that was a good you model. you to get your Thank friend you. into therapy. Yeah. Or your yeah,
1: level. I will say direct, like, Hey boo, I think you're addicted. Drama will never work. <laughs> All they will feel is your abandonment yeah, it's attack. And, and it'll
0: become another drama An
1: attack and it will become another drama. And guess what? you're going to have to live through that to clean your clear yourself from that attachment to them and the relationship dynamics. And, and so like, sometimes there's a lot of work about what it is to process your own guilt around walking away from someone who's hurting you.
0: Yeah. And drama addicts are very attracted to codependents, and codependents mm-hmm. are very attracted to drama addicts. So and we codependents often are drama addicts. So yeah, it's an it's a beautiful opportunity for healing. Let's just put it that way for all parties involved. Scott Lyons, thank you. Yeah, Lyons, it, thank you. It, yes. yeah, go ahead. What were you going to say?
1: Oh, I just said I agree. It really is like if we if we look at this not as something to shame people with or shame ourselves with, but as an opportunity for some really deep healing. I think because it's so prevalent, it yeah. is just so prevalent check out any, you know, the internet, check out the news, check out all these ways in which an addiction to drama is not just our own anymore. It's also being kind of oh, pushed on us yeah, by society. It
0: makes a lot of money yeah. drama.
1: By our, you know, like my old pacing, like running through New York, which is, or like, you know, it's running through Miami, but it's walking through New York, that type of yeah. pacing, that urgency culture is prevalent everywhere now. Yeah, it is. And so I just want to say it so beautifully said, all of this is not to shame. It's an opportunity to come home to ourselves and to heal.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much. The book, guys, is Addicted to Drama, Healing Dependency on Crisis and Chaos in Yourself and Others. So much good understanding of the underpinning of it, that not only what we've explored here, but much more of it in the book, as well as tons of tools and techniques and strategies. So we'll have that in the show notes as well as any kind of links. And we thank you so much. Thank you for the work you do in the world. Thank you for shining a light on this insidious drama addiction that almost all of us seem to be
1: be the effect
0: of. And showing us light in the path to healing. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. All I wanna do, I wanna do is take you home with
1: me. I wanna make a move, I wanna make a move that I to shine.